Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Benjamin Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands and dust off your broomsticks and join us as we unlock the secrets behind Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 8, The Potions Master. Oh, so omnibus. Yeah, so I feel like I feel like we're, we're this. I found this to be an interesting chapter on the whole, um, because so far as as the story has unfolded for our first seven chapters, I feel like they are all just remarkably heavy with like brand new information, lots of like hard hitting stuff. But I, I feel like this is sort of. Like you're you're sort of in that like mid season like it's not exactly a filler episode like important stuff oh, absolutely happens. important stuff there's a lot of like tiny not necessarily like foreshadowing stuff just sort of stuff that when you read it again the next time you're like oh it's this like, was kind of like an you can like it feels like it was established earlier but you couldn't have like connected it or predicted it or something right 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 yeah no absolutely i know exactly what you're talking about so um anyway yeah the potions master really is going to be a chapter that revolves around uh harry's first week at hogwarts yeah it it gives us an introduction to many of the classes that he is going to be taking uh on the on the annual basis this is the real trick is that chapters like this like there are often sections of the story that will do exactly what this chapter does where it's like here were the proceedings at Hogwarts things were changing important important plot device disguised as expositional things happening in the castle like <laughs> it feels like it fe- you're right it is designed to feel like a filler chapter so that you miss the important things yeah yeah so I, I do think there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to unlock in here in terms of, of some really really fun details but uh, right away we sort of get like the introduction you know where where like the the chapter starts with minimal context other than just there look where next to the tall kid with the red hair wearing the glasses did you see his face did you see his scar so it's just sort of like marking almost immediately how recognizable Harry's going to be inside of you know the wizarding world yeah. at school you know all of his fellow classmates you know have heard the tale they know who he is it's it's remarkable that he's there so he's you you start to get like a feel for the additional pressure Harry will always have on himself uh, as he moves forward as a student like he's no matter what I mean he's living a rather unique existence but his even compared to other students is is that much more unique absolutely just yeah it's established right away and then you start hearing about the castle itself um, how there's 142 staircases just a, a real popular trivia question remember that one 142 staircases at Hogwarts yeah this is this is one of those where um, I, I remember once upon a time when I was losing so horrendously in the J versus Ben episodes I remember like I was like I'm going to read through I'm going to start making notes I'm going to have like mnemonic devices in different ways to um, like to, to remember details and my my really ridiculous one is that I remember in elementary school kids would say one four three uh, or one forty three meant I love you because it was like like one for I four for love and then three for you so one four three meant like, oh, I oh, love oh, you. oh like the number of letters in each thing yes I yeah, was like yeah. why would that mean that I, I know literally I had to remember why it worked okay. because I was like I was like I know at one point in time I knew how this was a thing but I can't remember why it is now a thing um, but so literally my my ridiculous device for remembering the staircases is it's one four three minus one there you go yeah <laughs> it's like i, I ha- love you minus one i have 
mild attachment. Not like I have, I have some reason why I can remember the number 143, and that just helps me then backpedal into 142. Yeah. Um, the weird okay. thing is, whenever I think of, whenever this question comes up, I'm, I always, the number I always think of is 143. Okay. Instead yeah, of 142. Right. I don't know why. It just seems like a, a more memorable number or something. Maybe it's the I love you thing. Maybe it's the I love yeah. you thing. That's not, I didn't know about that until 10 seconds ago, but maybe deep in my memory, I did. Can I just say one of the things I found interesting about this is that when it's talking about like all the different staircases, it says um, there are wide, there are wide ones, sweeping ones, narrow, rickety ones, some that led uh, somewhere different on a Friday, some with a vanishing step halfway up that you had to remember to jump. So there, there's a little bit of this, like some that led to uh, somewhere different on a Friday, but there is no actual words that say that the staircases themselves move. And this is like one of those things that like the movie introduces and like as soon as they like enter like the the grand I don't know oh, yeah. hallways yeah. or whatever you know, like you look up and they're all moving like back and forth. But that's actually more of like a movie invention, and I don't think it's ever brought up again until like Half Blood Prince. Really? Yeah. There's there's not like a really specific line that suggests that like they were on a staircase that like physically moved and then like you know prevented them from getting to where they were supposed to go. That's interesting because it does say that like it felt like things are moving around a lot. It was also hard to remember where anything was because it all seemed to move around a lot. Yeah. 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 So it says that right after it describes the kind of stairs there are and it describes a bunch of different kinds of stairs and the way that like maybe they lead different places, but that could be because the landing changes, not because the stair moved. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, like it, it's hard oh, to know. Interesting. The, I know. I thought that was interesting as well because I mean, the the moving staircases is just something that's like in my head canon for the Wizarding World. Yeah, and I think it is canon now because it's like that's like it's it's canon that Rowena Ravenclaw is the one who introduced the moving staircases, right? Yeah, I believe that is correct. Yeah, yeah from her chocolate frog card. I think yeah, that is like a detail that is that is known. Um, moving just ever so slightly forward, you also get like um, doors that wouldn't open unless you asked politely or tickled them in exactly the right place. Never tickle a sleeping dragon Ben yeah we made the video guys We made the video it's out there it's it, it is gonna it's gonna yeah because we actually I think that video came out before the episode in which we discovered it in the podcast came out yes yeah, so so we recorded uh the episode where we were like did Hogwarts used to be a dragon going back to the um Capit Draconis being the head of the dragon yeah the Gryffindor common room like physically possibly being in that position but the uh yeah the, the tickling is certainly very interesting um we we delved into it a lot honestly the the never tickle a sleeping dragon I felt like ended up being like the really big like just like oh my gosh like that's such a ridiculous motto for the school to have and it never really comes up at all and it's just like because the school's a dragon because the school's a dragon it's just like you're taking you're thinking it too metaphorically it's literally a dragon a dragon an actual dragon yeah Um, speaking of which oh sorry oh I was gonna say just on that tickling front we do know eventually we will learn that the kitchens um, are hidden behind a portrait where if you tickle the pair you do gain access so even though we we know that Harry doesn't learn that until what? When, when do we meet Winky? Fourth year? Fourth year, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we know that it's a while before we'll learn that, but that is one of those. We know that that continues to be like a canon detail, like, yep. a, like something that is revisited. Yep. There's also, it says, um, uh, I like this just tiny inclusion where it's just Harry was sure the coats of armor could walk, and I just wrote like, indeed. Yep. It's just like this like very little thing that's like, oh boy, can they walk. Oh yes. boy, that's a that's a very intentional detail right there. Th- yes, they can quite literally defend the castle. They can come needed. to life and fight, which yeah. is super fun. Um, one of the things that's always like, it's like you don't think about it because you're like, yeah, you're at a castle, but like he wouldn't believe they were lost. This, Filch catches them doing something. He said he wouldn't believe they were lost. They were sure they were trying to break into it on purpose. 
purpose and was threatening to lock them in the dungeons when they were rescued by Professor Quirrell, who was passing. So, boy, a couple things about that sentence. First of all, um, it is oh, it is so sneaky the way this is done. First yes. of all, though, why like you don't think about it because they're in a castle and you're like, oh yeah, castles have dungeons, but like it's a school. Like, why are there dungeons at all? <laughs> Uh, there should be no dungeons. There should be no dungeons, unless dungeons are just like basements. I mean, you know, I, I like, thought that. I was like, maybe this is the case. But I, look, I looked up the word dungeon, and it just means like secure prison cell, especially in a castle. Wow. So it's like, like there's not like mistaking it. You know, it's not like basement is it just another word. Like dungeon means dungeon. As, I mean, that's what Filch is doing. He's threatening to lock them in the dungeons. Okay, so here's my thoughts on this because I think I've thought this before, like going back to the late ninth century when the founders would have been basically in 10th century, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, founding the school of Hogwarts. Like I think there's a lot to be said for what is actually going on during this time and like actual real world history and like the perception of magic and witches and the way that people like this were being treated during those periods of time. Um, you know, because this was obviously, you know, like th throughout history, even though, you know, magic and stuff, as far as we know, just isn't real in the capacity that we're reading about it. Um, it's not like people have not been punished for such things in the past. So part of me almost thinks that like if you were to really delve again into that founder series and get a feel for what the founders were trying to accomplish with the castle of Hogwarts, it, it almost occurs to me that there's some outside possibility that it wasn't solely intended to be just a school, right. but, but also like a multifunctional. Yeah. Like it, like as a castle, was it more of like a, a genuine fortress or something like Quite a line like, of defense? Yeah. Because, and we also know that Hogsmeade, the town that literally exists right next to Hogwarts, I think is the only known, uh, at least in England, the only exclusively wizarding population. Right. Like so even Godric's like, Hollow has muggles. Like yeah. Um, so was this like a like a a place for the town to retreat to in the case of in case of attack or something? Almost certainly is is yeah. sort of what my mind would say. So like I almost feel like what was what the founders were really attempting to do was provide safe haven for the wizarding world, and then once that was sort of happening, and once there was a place for people to potentially go, it was like we can act, we can also like be teaching people while we're here, and like that way if they have control of their magic, then it's altogether less dangerous, you know? Like right. Teach a code of conduct. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly think because you know, the statute of secrecy won't be created for centuries. Yeah. I think it's not until like the 1600s or 1700s when that's that's put into place. Right. Um, I can't remember the specific detail, but either way, I mean, it means that there's there's a good possibility, especially being so remote, that they were just quite literally trying to provide a place for for people to go and hide. Yeah, you know, that, what that's on. what it seems to me. I mean, the fact that they have dungeons means that they at one point were used for housing prisoners. So the castle must have served that function at some point. But it's certainly not for students. Certainly not for students. Yeah. Filch. Filch. The poltergeist. The poltergeist. Um, the other interesting thing about that exact sentence is that it says like it's it's this is such a tricky sentence because Filch is getting Harry and them in trouble for um, accidentally trying to get through the entrance of the out of bounds corridor where Fluffy is. They don't know that yet, but they're rescued by Professor Quirrell who is passing by and it's like you think oh he rescued them. That's great. And it's like no, 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 no. He was he's investigating yes. the spot. Like that's why he's there. And it's like it paints him as a good guy, but it's like a small detail that like, no, he's the bad guy. It's like that's that's why Quirrell was there. Yeah, it, it's that's like, why Quirrell was yeah. there. It's like it's not convenient timing and, and like if anything, like Quirrell probably like I, I imagine if you were to see the whole scene through his lens, you what you would witness is 
him almost having a sense of feeling caught himself. Yeah. And then being like, oh, no, Filch, these these kids are fine. Like, yeah. you know, like like realizing in the moment, like, wait, no, I have the authority here. Like, right. You know, exactly. Like I'm a teacher. Like as far as as far as anybody else knows, I'm just a teacher. I'm allowed to be here. Right. Um, but yeah. So again, I, I know that we talked a little bit about it in the last chapter, but um, I feel like you are getting a, a really significant contrast here between the, the two paragraphs adjoining. So basically you get one big paragraph about peeves and what happens if you run into peeves and then you get a big paragraph about Filch and what happens if you run into Filch. Uh-huh. And it's, it's just, again, just, I mean, these two are the antithesis of one another. Like, they are they are exact equal opposites of one another. It's like I, I mean, even the length of paragraph looks the exact same. It really does. Like, yeah. this is, I mean, I, I, I don't want to harp on it for too long because I know we talk about it all the time, but it really has just always been one of my favorite theories, and I feel like I would love for this one to just be properly confirmed like it, yeah. it seems it seems so harmless otherwise it doesn't change anything about the story no, just a poltergeist it just sort of explains at least the connection between him and mrs norris there's like something magical yes yes almost certainly almost certainly yep um, um, not to mention filch also knows all the secret passageways which we learn about uh you know it, it does mm-hmm. it does say because uh, he's part of the castle because yep. he's part of the castle exactly yep. he knows it better than anyone except for maybe the weasley twins map uh, foreshadowing Right there. Yep, yep. Yep. So it's kind of like a little bit of a nod to the fact that the Weasleys are already like one step ahead. Oh my gosh. There's so many nods to Fred and George being like such troublemakers and such like like so knowledgeable about the castle like even in just like this chapter alone i think i wrote it down later on like there's so many nods to them well that's the thing like this is where i've always said like you know people ask a lot like you know what could the new um like hbo series or something do to provide something new to the story overall and i always come back to fred and george like you can't really tell like it's not like you need like the story as told by ron the story as told by hermione because like they're just so adjacent to harry all the time that they're effectively part of the main story always yeah so it's like who then becomes like your secondary characters whose whose tale you want to follow and I, I just love Fred and George. They're like two of my favorite like Harry Potter characters of oh, all time. They're so, fantastic. I mean, yeah. I think yeah, another scene you I could almost see like Harry goes to bed after the first night, wakes up the next day, and you see him pushing on the door with Fluffy. Filch walks up and it's like, hi, get out of here, or whatever. Nice, Filch, yeah. yeah thank you, it, thank yeah. you. And then you see Quirrell show up, and then like later in the season, as he's like explaining it to Harry, you can see like the flashback where like what really happened. Oh, yes. Kind of thing, you yep. know. Yep. That's the sort of thing I think would be interesting. Um, I think there's an interesting sentence here that says, there was a lot more to magic, as Harry's quickly found out, than waving your wand and saying a few funny words. And it's like, that's true, but also a lot of times that is all it is. <laughs> You know, we yeah, we talk about the magic systems sometimes that are used in different fantasy novels, and it's really fascinating because I actually had never caught this before, but on this particular pass-through, I was like, wait a second, this stands out to me all of a sudden. Um, but, yeah, so in, in the world of Harry Potter, it always feels like we're dealing with what is largely regarded as a soft magic system, which largely is sort of like this big question of, like, what physical toll does it ultimately take on the witch or wizard to cast a spell. Like if you were in a duel and you're just blasting spells back and forth, are you exhausted from that? Does it like sap a certain kind of like inner um, like mana energy that like, you mm-hmm. know, that like fuels your magic as time goes on? Do you have like a, like a recharge period or anything? Right. Um, or, or can you just continuously, you know, cast? And it seems like for the most part, like the incantation is sort of like a way to direct your efforts and sort of like associate the intended magic with an otherwise movement because we know the incantation itself is not necessary uh, because there is nonverbal magic. Right. Um, you know, so that's that's a certain piece of it. You've also got the fact that the you can channel your magic through any object, but like wands are most 
adept at doing so. Mm-hmm. So it means like you could technically pick up like a piece of chalk and probably like make something come from right. a piece of chalk. Because well, you don't even need a wand, you know, like Harry's doing magic, you know, he makes the glass disappear at yes, the zoo. Right. Wand like wandless magic is a thing too. Yeah. And when you learn about like, you know, wizards in North America, you'll learn that like, you know, the like, you know, native people to the area were basically just doing wandless magic. Like yeah, like they didn't sort of, have wands. Like that was just their specialty. Yeah. yeah. Um but one of the things that I found to be particularly interesting is because the story that we always like to really compare uh the magic system to of Harry Potter is our other favorite, you know, fantasy series, which is called Name of the Wind or the King Killer Chronicles. And they use a type of magic called sympathy, which basically goes into a whole bunch of different things. But it's basically like physics-based magic, essentially. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's really fascinating is that in the very next page, um, we learned that in their first transfiguration class, uh, McGonagall tasks them with changing a match into a needle. Yep. And there's actually a little bit of a sympathetic link going on, I feel like, there, because you quite literally have two objects that are like similar in size and stature, yeah. which should make the conversion like a little bit more uh, simple in in the scheme of things. So like for this to be the starting point to use two objects that are so similar suggests on some level that like that similarity aids in the ease of conversion. It seems like it almost lends itself to like the, even the possibility of it. Like I don't think you could turn like a matchstick into like a pig. Well, you know? that, I mean, we see her in this change a desk into a pig. Oh, I know, but a desk is more pig shaped to begin with. That's true. Like it has, yeah. it has four legs. Right. That's a good point. It is like the appropriate. So maybe you could turn a matchstick into like a really tiny pig. Right. Well, one of you the know. other details I was I was looking into because I was trying to feel like the different things that they do in, in class and like at one point in time they convert like pin cushions into uh, like little hedgehogs or porcupines, which is yeah. like again you know like those are fairly similar. Yeah. But the other one that I found fascinating is that eventually they'll do guinea pigs into guinea fowl and. Guinea pigs are like a small, um, like a know, little bit bigger hamster. Yeah, like a, like a, like a little rodent type yeah. thing. And a guinea fowl is closer to like a chicken. And yeah. so what's interesting about that is it's actually the the name is right. the same. So you have <laughs> guinea guinea. So there's a little bit of that sympathetic link going on, even though it's only in the proper name for the for the item. So right. Anyway, I found that to be just kind magic of magic cares about puns. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah a little yeah, bit yeah, for yeah, sure. Takes into consideration. It's quirky yeah. like that. Uh, okay, so um, the, you keep going through his classes here. Uh, I thought it was interesting that like so he's going through all the different classes he has, or like it, it's introducing you to the number of different people in the castle and stuff. But I think it's so funny that like you always think of how Hogwarts is this like constantly happy, magical place, but like. If you're going through this, like Professor Bins is super boring, Peeves terrible, Filch terrible, Snape mean, McGonagall hard. It's like all <laughs> the classes seem like it seems kind of rough. Even Sprout is is described. Yeah. And I, I was like, I was like, poor Sprout. The description of her, the first one we ever get is dumpy little witch, right. <laughs> which I was like, well, that feels like an insult well, on, on any now. level you choose. I was like, poor. I mean, Sprout. Look, I tell you what, I'm 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 here for you. Okay, just yeah. so you know. Um, okay. Yeah, you 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 are correct. I mean, it says, I mean, even when you get to, did you say Quarrels class, which, you know, everybody oh, yeah. was super excited about and it turned out to be a bit of a joke. Bit of a joke. It's like, okay, what are we learning anything? A- anything at all? Are we anything actually at all? being educated in, I this, know. in this system here? Okay. Also, one of the, this is just like a little Easter egg, or not even Easter egg, but like um, in Professor Bin's class, it says they compute, the students are confusing Emmerich the evil and Eric the oddball, yeah. which has to just be based on the fact that their names sound similar because like what they're each famous for is like wildly different. Oh, no way. 
away. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, Emmerich the evil goes on to he does get mentioned again as a former master of the elder wand or at least wielder. I don't know about master. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. That's yeah. one. Like, I think I think um, Xenophilius mentions him later on as well. So that's wow, sort of there. What a throwback. He was okay. killed by Egbert the egregious in gruesome fashion, oh, sure, which you know, again, if you had the elder wand and was truly master of it, you the elder wand sucks at winning duels like it is. It does not do what it says on the box. Well, that's I just think the legend is is mistaken. It's just I wrong. Mean, yeah, the, the whole I mean, we could we could probably do just an entire episode about nothing but the elder wand. I mean, we we've, we've made like 10 videos about nothing but the elder wand on the main channel. And I still don't even know exactly where I stand. On I it, think but. I think our most recent pass out of that you need to be worthy to be like a true map. Like anyone can hold it and do magic and it right. will. It is better at like, you know, choosing or like uh, working for anyone than like, say, like Ron's hand me down wand. Sure. sure then sure. then most wands. But like the the thing that makes it appear to constantly be powerful is that powerful people think it's powerful so they seek it out and then because they are powerful they do things with it yes it's yes. like what olivander says like you know, uh, terrible, terrible. Yes, but great. Right. It's right, like right, this yeah. is the nature of the elder wand. It is constantly well, well, being welt by by terrible but great people, and so it gets this reputation as being good. But as far as I'm concerned, the only two people to ever have genuinely been masters of the elder wand that we are aware of are Dumbledore and Harry, because they are the only two people who we ever see genuinely perform extraordinary, like, extraordinary magic. magic and that piece of magic is the same for both of them and it is repairing a wand Dumbledore repair repairs Hagrid's whereas uh, Harry repairs his own which Ollivander says shouldn't be possible and Ollivander you you think you can trust to know since his family has been doing it for over 1200 years or something. yeah it's just been forever and a so, half Yep. No, I, yep. I, yep, I absolutely agree. They're okay. both, it's like Mjolnir. So did you end up telling me who Yurik the Oddball? Yurik the Oddball is a, a, a appropriately named super odd guy. He used to wear a jellyfish as a hat cool. and he would sleep with 50 auguries in the room with him. Um, 50? 50. And of course, the auguries have this like bad reputation of like predicting um, death. Yeah, but what they actually predict is oncoming rain. But um, he w slept with fifty of them, and there was a big storm coming, so they're all going crazy. He woke up and assumed because they were all yelling so loudly that he must be dead and was a ghost, and gave himself a concussion trying to walk through walls, which he couldn't because because he wasn't dead. Yeah, <laughs> but he was possibly he was in Ravenclaw and was possibly taught by Rowena herself. Okay, um, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm not really sure why it's confused with Emmerich because they're not really the same in that way at all. Yeah, but, this is this is like one of those things where it's like, are they is, is like what it what is coming down to that like Bins is just this inefficient at at teaching? Oh, why this is another one. It's like why does Dumbledore let Professor Bins continue to be the teacher? Like it's just such a bad staffing choice. Like all of the students are bored. Uh, yes, you know? like, like to problematic degrees. Yeah, yeah. This is this is. I mean, the, and it's interesting too. You know, it's like Dumbledore is always kind of odd with with who he elects to hire for all the positions. Like even going through all this, I mean, like McGonagall is. I mean, Flitwick never really has anything negative super attached to him at all. But you know, McGonagall feels like she's she's probably like the most effective teacher. Snape seems like he just right. simply scares everyone. Snape, yeah, I mean, anytime I feel like you see Snape teaching, it's just like I wrote the instructions on the chalkboard. Do it. 
It's that's like, all. It's like, I'll be here doing no instruction at all. Yeah, there's, yeah. Like, that's it's, not incredibly you helpful. Know, yeah, even when Slughorn's there, he's like, ooh, I suppose you added some peppermint to counteract the whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like, that's a useful tip. Right, right, right. It's like, like it's, Snape's not passing out peppermint tips. That, that's the thing, too, is like, Snape, we know that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. We know that he has all these tips that he's written in like the ledgers of right. his books. It's like, why is he not literally teaching all of his students exactly these things? I know. This is, this is like one of those things where it's like, it's almost like a vanity issue where it's like you know the teacher becomes the master no the student becomes the master i got that right that second time um where it's almost like was snape just like having like a pride related issue when he was just like worried that one of his students would become better than him at his own craft? <laughs> right he's like i know all the secrets and i'm a teacher i'm not going to tell you the secrets because I earned those myself by figuring them out. That's not for you to know. I know. That's like, it's yeah. like no, this is the exact, this is, this is, this is why is. the student becomes the master because they have the benefit of all of the teaching. Right. Yeah. Like you, you are like actively withholding information from your student. You're being a bad teacher on purpose. It feels like. Yeah. Anyway, well, more on Snape in just a second. Cause there yeah, was, there was it, another it, the chapter is called the potions master. I know. Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely spend some more time on him. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to just touch on a little detail. So we get into Quirrell's room, um, which, you know, this is, we're do, we're doing DADA, which we know eventually will go on to be Harry's like most prominent class, although yeah. not for any help from his first two years of education. In the no, subject. he basically learns in years three, four, and I guess in six. Um, but yeah, I like, guess Snape is teaching him then. But. One, one, two, and five. So like of his six years at school, um, Harry, the high school dropout, has three actual years of education in, yeah. in defense against the dark guards, uh, and is apparently like the best ever at it. So I don't know how to I don't know how to explain that. Um, but one of the things I thought was just kind of funny, or I was like, I wonder if this is supposed to be a nod. But um, he says his turban, he told them, had been given to him by an African prince as a thank you for getting rid of a troublesome zombie. I have literally no idea if this is intended to be like a, a little bit of like a spoof on like the classic um, like Nigerian prince. In email scam that, that oh. popped up, <laughs> you know, because during like, I think like the late nineties, early two thousands, it was just like a really common, um, like, like trope of a scam that would happen it was essentially like a, like a wealthy, um, African prince essentially would reach out to you and say like, Hey, I'm on hard times, but if you can help me like through this difficult, you know, piece or whatever, then I will like reward you beyond your wildest dreams or something. And people were like, Oh, I mean, it's a prince reaching out for help. Like, of course I'll help. Of course. Um, but like, obviously like even the, the class is like, it says literally the next sentence, but they weren't sure they believed the story. And it's like, even that feels like it like falls in line. Like, you know, if you're just like an everyday household, United States resident, why would a like a Nigerian prince be reaching out to you in particular? Right. Like, it's like you, know, like you should be skeptical of that story basically is, is what it comes down to. And so I have I don't know whether or not it's supposed to be a nod at all, but I had never caught that before. And I was like, well, I wonder if that's like a like a joke or anything there. Well, it's almost certainly not true because we know the real reason he wears the turban is to um, yeah, conceal right, yes. Voldemort in you know on the back of his head. What's interesting is that I think it um, it's like I think it, it, it like when you meet Quirrell in the movies, he's immediately wearing the turban. But yeah. it sounds like maybe he wasn't wearing the turban until term started. Yeah, I like, think that's true. Yeah, so yeah. like when when Harry meets him in the in the Leaky Cauldron, he's not wearing the turban the first time. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's because like so again, we I think we've talked about that a little bit, but it's like you know Harry reaches out and is able to shake Quirrell's hand at the Leaky Cauldron without 
you know, it yeah, being impactful. without hurting him. So that that must mean that Voldemort has not yet taken up residence in the back of Quirrell's head. Yeah, yet, but so. now he has. Now he has. For yep, sure. Now he's there. Which also there's a nod to that as well, where it says a funny smell hung around the turban. That's just Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, is this to suggest that Voldemort smells bad? Yeah, well, I mean, if you, I mean, like, I mean, uh, I'm thinking of like during COVID times when you have to wear a mask all day and it's like, you know, you're just sort of breathing into the mask all day. Like the mask doesn't smell great by the end of the day. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I so, got you. And I he's just you. back there just like breathing in his own bad breath all day. <laughs> that, that, that is just a ridiculous thing to think about is Voldemort just being like, oh, this really stinks. I know. <laughs> like, well, everyone's just going to be quiet back here. I can't say anything. The, the, the ruler of all darkness. I'm just stuck on the back of this guy's head under a turban. <laughs> yeah, just just absolutely no sympathy for for old uh, for old Voldemort yeah. over there. Oh, also, the next day, I just I always think this is just funny. Where they're eating breakfast, and uh, what have we got today? Harry asked Ron as he poured sugar on his porridge, and I'm like, Harry, you were at magic school. Why are you eating porridge? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. There has got there has got to be better options than porridge. <laughs> than porridge, <laughs> like yeah, but which like, can't even be that good. You're like dumping sugar on it. Like even you were like, yeah, it's only okay. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's like, like I feel like throughout the like the future of of all of um all of wizarding meals. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like occasionally, maybe Harry just likes plain food. Plain food. He's yeah. just like, I want baked potatoes and porridge. Yeah, just, just, just. just <laughs> uh, I'll take them together. Even mm-hmm. through the Gryffindor is sponsored by a Better Help. Let me tell you what I wish I had more time. Between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility, life keeps me so busy. So much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be like read a book take a nap contemplate the turnings of the world it's strange but at some point in time i may have lost the thread on what i actually want to do with my own time and that's where therapy can really truly help it's one of the primary topics i bring up in my own sessions how do i recognize my own genuine passions versus what i think the world family or social media might want me to do finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive it means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for 
for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today, today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me, like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed RPG experience, download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And and we have a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code MAXPOOL. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Um, I, I, this was, this was something I never really super considered before, but, uh, the double potions with the Slytherins, I, this was like one of those things I've always interpreted double potions or any double class as, um, like back to back lessons, but I, I, I don't know whether or not like they've had classes with anybody else so far. So it was like, it's like, this could be interpreted as double potions means you're taking a class with another house at the same time. I think that is what it means, but they never describe it as like double care of magical creatures with the Slytherins. Yeah, that's true. It does seem like, like potions is the one they always have double of, but, but then I think they're supposed to be taking trans, no, um, not transfiguration, uh, herbology, like three days a week. Yeah. And they take, and, um, I know in at least their second year, they have herbology with the Hufflepuffs, right? So is that double herbology? Is that double herbology? Or yeah, does double mean that the class is back to back, which would almost make sense for potions. Cause you think maybe you need like a longer time to brew the potion or something. Well, like in college, yeah, like I, I like took, you know, like geology for example, cause I just needed the science, but you know, it was like one of those things where I would have like the practical where you would go in and, um, they would like teach you about, the, the rocks and minerals and such like that. And then you would have the lab afterwards. So class was like three hours long because you'd spend the first hour and a half learning and the second hour and a half, like right. doing whatever doing the, the, lab. Yeah, yeah. the lab. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, I, yeah. The, uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether it means potions class is just two classes back to back or if it just means that you're having class with the second house. But either way, we know they constantly have double or at least potions with the Slytherins and care of magical creatures with the Slytherins yes. and it seems like I think they have um, uh, what's your butt? I just said it herbology with the Hufflepuffs. I, I don't think there is a single case where we see the Gryffindors having class with the Ravenclaws ever ever. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we really we don't we know the fewest Ravenclaws I think of any 
any other house as, yeah. we, as we learn more about you know the other students in his right. year and stuff. So that is that is very interesting. Real quick there, we do get the letter from Hagrid inviting Harry down uh, to have tea after his first week. This is something that makes Harry happy though because he is then of course heading to his least favorite class where basically right away we get the line um, like it, Harry says at the start of term banquet, Harry had gotten the idea that Professor Snape disliked him. By the end of the first person's lesson, he knew he'd been wrong. Snape didn't dislike Harry. He hated him. Fact. Yes. <laughs> Straight fact. Yeah. Um, Snape basically goes on the offensive right away. Yeah. Like this. I mean, it's like the least professional thing he could possibly do. It's, it really is. You know, it's like, I mean, it has to be the case. And, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, I'm sure if you talk to any teacher, I guarantee that there are students in every class where it's just like, it would make my life a lot easier if you were just simply not in this class, you know, because like, because it's always trouble. It's always something. But like, I still don't think that they're like unnecessary. Like, it is still not okay to be unfairly difficult on those students you know it's like right. they are still just students that you still have to treat them well at this like point he has. hasn't done anything either i know yeah so he's just like just just right away he's just super super mean yeah um there is um you, you do sort of get like a little bit of an idea that that despite the fact that he always seems to covet the defense against the dark arts position um that he does have a deep passion for potions in the way that he describes like the subtle science and exact art of potion making. Yeah, so he's talking about like what you can learn in this class and he says I can teach you how to bottle fame brew glory and even put a stopper on death and I was like trying to think if those things actually came to pass at any point. I mean brew glory could be um Felix Felicis. That is what I wrote. Or is that Felix Felicis? And then I can teach you how to bottle fame. I wrote like polyjuice potion next to that because they literally all transform into Harry who is famous at one point. Like you sort of bottled fame in that way. I don't know if that counts. Yeah, but, but like otherwise you would think that this would largely be like if it was just a potion that simply made you famous somehow a la genie making Aladdin a prince, you know, like right, it, yeah, it seemed like, you know, if you took it and all of a sudden it's just like there's an entire wealth of knowledge about you as a person and all of your accolades and you're like a well-known person because you drank this potion. It's like, I don't know how that would work. It seems like Gilderoy Lockhart. Absolutely. It would have been like an easier path to success to just brew a whole bunch of, of yeah, whatever that was, whatever but to your, but exactly what you just said, if you could just turn into a person who everyone knew about, that would be like taking polyjuice potion and just doing that with someone. That's true. Everyone already knew about. Yes, that's a very good yeah. point. That is a very good point. Which, I mean, does come up. And then even stop or death. I just wrote down like Bezor, which he does literally teach them by the end of this page. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, yes and so Harry does use it. <laughs> yeah, so the Bezor is kind of an interesting one um, because we, we do know that like fast forward to year six, um, Harry will learn from Snape again, the Half-Blood Prince, that like the ultimate antidote for most things is just simply shoving a Bezor down their throat and it will pretty much, it, it's maybe not like a perfect cure-all, but like like in most cases it will work i know um, i think there's a funny moment there where i think um because harry pulls out the bezoar in class and like you know slughorn is like ah oh, 10 points for sheer cheek you know or whatever yes and, he sh- and you know hermione's all mad because harry learned about it from the book and he's like you could have learned about it in our first year if you've been listening to professor snape and it's like he still learned it from professor snape at the he, end he <laughs> did still learn it from that, that is such a good point that is yeah. such a good point interestingly with the bezoar we've actually you and i have held one before. a real one yeah bezoars are real things not yeah. like they won't magically well no, they don't like cure you from poison. No, no, but, but I think that they are from the stomach of a goat. They are from the stomach of a goat, and I think the the actual use in the wizarding world was the believed use of them in the real world at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this this is not like necessarily invented. <clears throat> this is like more based on like kind of like some historical yeah. um like like um 
you know, magic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, or proposed magic, rather. The other really kind of interesting one here, and I've seen a lot of speculation about this line, although I, th- I think that it's maybe not as like grounded, but I, I sort of love it ev- like either way uh, if this was the intention. But so Snape uh, says, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? Mm-hmm. Um, this is an asphodel is a kind of lily. Oh. Um, and it means remembrance and supposedly wormwood is associated with regret. And basically it's like essentially what Snape could be asking or saying here in code to Harry is effectively like, I regret the loss of your mother, Lily. Oh, right. So it's like, it's like deeply coded and Harry would never have any way of like determining this. Well, possibly he could, I guess, because the thing you would actually make if you mix them together is the draft of living death. Yes. Which is also then could be a reference to Lily, I guess, although it's not the draft of living death doesn't kill you. It just puts you into a sleep. Um, But interestingly, um, for this like uh, comparison in Harry's sixth year for his first class with Slughorn when they're competing to win the Felix Felicis, what they're supposed to brew is the draft of living death. Yes. Which is so interesting that it comes. It's the very first thing he's asked about, and then it's the one that Harry brews correctly to win the um, Felix Felicis. Although I went and read that chapter again as well after this, and surprisingly, even though... Um, the, it talks about roots. It talks about like Harry and like Ron chopping up the roots at the beginning. Those are valerian roots. So part of the draft of living death includes chopped valerian roots, powdered root of asphodel, and an infusion of wormwood. Like these two ingredients don't come up in book six, even though they're both mentioned right here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So it's like he's only giving you about half the ingredients here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That, that is that is definitely pretty pretty fascinating as well. Um, and yeah, I love I do love the fact though that, that like a lot of this stuff does end up ultimately you know coming back. Uh, you know, as yeah. the, as the story continues yeah. as well. That's also, th- this is another just random thing. It's like um, Hermione like immediately puts her hand in the air because she knows the answer to the question. But it's like it's confusing to me that even Hermione knows the answer to the question. Like, what would you do here? Because we know that the draft of living death is a newt or an NEWT level potion. So like, why would there have been any information about it at all in the year one books she got? Yes. Yeah. yeah. One, one, thousand, one thousand magical herbs and fungi and fungi, yeah. Yeah, which, which interestingly seems like it would be the herbology book. It does not the potions book, but I yeah. guess maybe this is like one of those areas where it's like herbology is quite literally growing the ingredients that could be. It does seem used. there's probably a lot of crossover like Certainly. when you're like when you're learning about historical events in English because it helps you understand the book rather than learning about those historical events in history. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's a really good example. Um, the other thing that happens here is that um, basically, you know, uh, Harry does sort of snap back, snap back at Snape a little bit here and uh, he said, you know, he basically like, you know, he's being grilled with all these questions very unfairly to which Harry says, I don't know, said Harry quietly. I think Hermione does though. Why don't you try her? Um, which is completely like reasonable, you know, from Harry's perspective. He's like, I don't know what's going on or why you're picking on me, but someone's raising their hand. Right. Um, I do think it's interesting that Snape says in a point will be taken from Gryffindor house for your cheek. Oh, the point scaling is like, yeah, the, the point power creep or whatever. The point power creep is really interesting, but I, I actually feel like there's a reason explanation and uh, like I, I mean I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it but sometimes it occurs to me that like as you're one students you're more likely to make mistakes or not know answers oh. and because everything is like a lower level I almost am curious like if as a first year student it's like typical um, uh, like point gains and losses might be 
smaller because the, the the associated victories and losses are also smaller. Right, like the amount of knowledge needed to have mastered to earn points as a first year isn't as great as seventh year. So seventh year points are like weighted heavier. Exactly. Mm, yeah, I yeah. do like that explanation. Although I guess you can still lose points for certain out of bounds in this because they go on to lose like 50 points a piece later on. Yes. And I mean, that's the type of thing that I think would probably, especially if you were like a first year, you know, a freshman in the yeah. school and like your upperclassmen, like, I mean, that would be in and of itself reason to stay in bounds because losing 50 points as a first year, it's like, you're not even supposed to be able to do that. Like right. you're not even in the zip code of, of losing 50 points. You right. should be losing a point. Or gaining a point. Yeah, you know, at a time. Like, yeah, at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it feels much more incremental. So uh, that that's sort of like my own personal headcanon as to how and why the point total seem to go from it seems like one point at a time in, in these opening chapters to eventually it seems like almost more of like a five to ten. Yeah, point. five to ten points for yeah, certain increments. things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on, there's another sentence here where it says Harry forced himself to keep looking straight into those cold eyes. And that's like a pretty interesting one because we know that is uh, that Snape is a legilimens. And so I was like, is Snape reading his mind right now? Yeah, like, I bet he is. He probably is. Um, this, this is actually another one that we've talked about before, and it's kind of deeply upsetting to even consider. But one of the big questions we've always had is that Harry looks exactly like James, except for the eyes. Um, but we've always said, like, what would happen if Harry had been like Lily's double? You oh, know? right. And so like all of a sudden what has showed up and, and I mean, Ginny could possibly, I don't know, maybe not really be a good case study for it. But, um, you know, the question would be like if Harry showed up and looked was the spitting image of Lily, would Snape have treated him differently? Oh, man. Yeah, it feels like he would have. Yeah, it, it feels like he would have. Yeah, because he would have been looking at you know, this person he loved rather than this person he despised. Right. You know, because that, that's always what's weird to me is that it's like, you know, Snape is so mean. But oh. Like this person is still part Lily. Oh, the other thing here is, is Harry forced himself to keep looking straight into those cold eyes. The other thing Snape could be doing is looking at Harry's eyes oh. because that's the part of him that looks like Lily. You're right. Oh, boy, that's just gave myself chills. That know, that's, yeah, that is weird. That, that is does weird. sound. I think that's more likely. I than, think that's more likely. Yeah, than reading his mind in that moment. Yeah, yeah, because this is like the first time he would have seen it, like seen Harry's eyes properly. Ooh, oh, man, that's weird. That is weird. Uh, okay, um, moving on. Uh, the next thing he says, or the next thing he reveals, is that monkshood and wolfsbane are the same plant. They are go by the name of aconite. I feel like in retrospect, this feels like a light, um, like um, lupin. Uh, reference yeah. as well because Wolfsbane is part of the Wolfsbane potion and this is sort of just like a, an early hint. I guess Snape might not know how much Harry knows about like James and his friends or anything sure. but this is like it, it feels like if you're including this to Harry then it's like yes I know about the werewolf kind of thing. Yeah that's that's a good point um, and I mean especially if the you know if you were to make the assertion and I'd be curious if you could if you could draw anything out from these other questions that he's asking if he is in some way shape or form alluding to each of the founders and Lily um, in any way shape or form like I mean like, like we said I mean one of the things he's asked about is, is possibly already a direct reference to the loss of Lily Potter um, you know, and if, if this one here is supposed to be a little reference to Lupin, it's like, does the, does the Bazaar or, um, what else does he have in here? He, he has a few questions that he, he kind of like rattles off all at once. It, it would just be interesting if like somehow they were like, like <laughs> yeah, that's the serious black reference or like that's yeah. the Peter reference. That would be interesting. Yeah, man. I don't know. 
yeah, I guess we can we can try to look further into that. But it does seem like at least two of them get referenced right there. Yes, yes, indeed. Yep. Um, as we move forward a little bit, we see that you know, like Neville, obviously, right away is starting to sort of struggle under the pressure that comes from Snape's teaching methods. He just straight up calls him an idiot. Yeah, I underlined that. I know, like so uncalled for. Like it's one thing to hate Harry because. He looks like your mortal enemy. Yeah. It is another to just bully Neville for no reason. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, even then, you know, he like he, he even takes it up on. He takes it out on Harry one step further after poor Neville's already been sent to the hospital wing. You Potter, why didn't you tell him not to add the quill? <laughs> Thought he'd make you look good if he got it wrong. Did you? It's like Snape. How are you pulling this stuff? Like where? How are you? I don't even know how you think to think to be this mean. I know. It's like, you know, he's just down there teaching the six years Hufflepuffs at one point in the air. And he's like, what? What is this? Where's Potter? This is his fault. This is, uh, yeah. I, you know what? I bet it was Harry. I bet I, it, this is this has got Potter all over all it. All over it. It's like, it's like I was in a different class, sir. What are you, what are you, I'm not even in Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, so what, this is not relevant yet, uh, but I always love to imagine what it's like for Snape to have to teach Luna potions. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. Like it'd be really funny. No, it would be um, hilarious to see Luna in in Snape's class because well, I'd like to think that Luna would just be good at this. You know, like I mean, she is a Ravenclaw. I mean, yeah, she, she's very intelligent. Like it's, I like to think that like she'd be the type of person who would just like like uh, intuitively know some of like the prince's secrets. Oh, I know. Like, like oh, yeah. I added the sprig of peppermint. It's believed that blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I it's know like, like she's getting the right answers for the wrong reasons or yes, something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's so Luna, which, yeah. I would, which I feel like would be, uh, that could be like a skit unto itself. Yeah. It's just like watching Snape be like, that is a good point. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, can't, I can't fault your, I can't fault what you did. It, it all worked out. Uh, as we move forward onto the next page, uh, Ron is trying to cheer up Harry, and we do get that one another one of those references to Fred and George. Yep. Uh, where speaking of Snape teaching other students, it says Snape's always taking points off of Fred and George, um, which you know is kind of like one of those things. It's just sort of a testament again that it's like Fred and George are doing it right. If Snape doesn't like you, it's like that means you're probably you got it yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 doing a good thing there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, is Hagrid spent half his life chasing your twin brothers away from the forest? Like, what are they doing in there? Yep. Who knows? Um, this is this is like one of those things where I have since learned, thanks thanks to the uh, the Great British Baking Show, that rock cakes are in fact just a um, common British like 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 food. Um, oh, 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 oh. But this I, I always thought was just sort of like a slam on Hagrid's cooking. <laughs> that is what I thought as well. Yeah. But but in fact, rock cakes are something that you would commonly find, I think, in, in like a, you know, like a British environment. But like the fact that it's also paired up with the fact that they're like tooth breaking, you know, it's sort of like it just sort of seems like what he's effectively doing is serving something that's closer to a rock than a cake. Right. Yes. He's, yeah. Like rock cakes are a thing. Hagrid is making rock cakes yes yeah 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 so uh that but that's that's something that forever and ever and ever i would have just i i always would assume that was like a wizarding thing not a this is like stirring up a completely random memory in my brain from fourth grade when we went when there was a class trip we went on to williamsburg okay and i remember that like uh, it was like an overnight trip so this is like the big fourth grade trip you got to go on amazing and while you're there and like i think mom came and she chaperoned and you know i was like so excited to get like souvenirs for you know everyone else in the family had to you know bring them back some like handmade soap or you know something like that right and i think one of the things were these like these like i think they were called like it was like hard rolls or something but they were just these like you know it was exactly what it sounds like it's like a very just stale piece of 
bread, I think, or like a really, really hard piece of bread. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I'm getting this for dad, obviously. So excited. I couldn't like I was like, this is such a cool thing. Like it's 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 hard on purpose. <laughs> he's like, he's gonna love he's it. He's gonna love it. And, uh, yeah, fourth grade me was like, I cannot I cannot I'm so excited to get this to dad. And I remember like I can still picture like him at the table, like absolutely doing his best to like seem excited about it and not be able to take a bite of it because it was such like a hard <laughs> roll. Rock solid. I've never I don't anyway. think I've ever heard that story, but oh, that's man. hysterical. It just, it just made me think of it and I was like, oh now I feel so embarrassed. Like I, I must have misunderstood the roles or something as a child, but I was like, I understand this completely and it's so cool. Well I love that mom was just like completely like, she was there and she was like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I cannot wait to see that yeah. space when when you present him with a rock hard roll. Um, anyway, well, that's hilarious. Yeah, uh, good to know that go. we've we've mm-hmm. all been there. Yep. Um, let's see. Um, going forward, uh, we hear Haggard talking a little bit about Mrs. Norris. Uh, and no, I know there, there's sort of like an interesting line that I was kind of curious as to like whether or not you could pull a string on uh, or if we ever have in the past, if, if anything tickles your your thoughts there. But uh, one of the things that we learn uh, is Hagrid says, as for the cat, Mrs. Norris, I'd like to introduce her to Fang sometime. Do you know every time I go up to the school, she follows me everywhere. Can't get rid of her. Filch puts her up to it, I think. Um, and this, this is like one of those where it's like, why would Mrs. Norris follow Hagrid everywhere? Right. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like this is because like that I, I like it almost feels like that must mean something suspicious yeah like or perceived sub- suspicious about Hagrid like I don't really like Filch or Mrs. Norris but like <laughs> and for that matter I love Hagrid but I, I can't really figure out like why that would happen like, well I guess they I mean the I mean we the Hagrid is assumed to have opened the Chamber of Secrets. True. Like the teachers, I guess, would know that, like why he was expelled. So I suppose Filch could just be like openly... Um, like perceiving his his presence at the school as like a like like an attack on the rules of the school, maybe. Sure. Like, I mean, he should have been expelled and, and like gone for that instead of like immediately being hired on as like an employee with yeah. keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, Dumbledore's hiring of Hagrid. Just, I mean, I love Hagrid, and clearly Dumbledore is right about it. But like, what he must have said, to, what what he must have said to Armando Dippet. It's like, oh yeah, moaning Myr- Myrtle. She Myrtle Warren's dead. And uh, we're we're pretty much uh, that the, the best student ever, you know, Tom Riddle. He found the murderer. Yeah, yeah he yeah. found it's Hagrid. We found the monster. It's definitely him. Um, hear me out. We hire him, and I know he murdered someone. But what if we give him allegedly? Allegedly, give him keys to every door in the castle. Just. We'll call him the keeper of the keys. It'll be fine. It'll it's be fine. fine. Yeah, it's a safe role. It's, it's a, safe, a role. safe role for this possible murderer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know how. I don't know how he was able to successfully pull that off. It yeah. seems like it must have been a pretty great challenge. But yeah. I, I, but either way, we know that Dumbledore is right, and Hagrid is kind-hearted, and, and and Mrs. Norris has has got nothing to go off of here. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, as we as we move down a little bit, we get a reference to um, Ron's brother Charlie. Oh uh, yeah, which is kind of interesting because I feel like he he's largely brought up more in the first book and then for the most part it feels like bill sort of takes over as like chief oldest brother chief oldest brother yeah you know, no for, doubt. for the rest of the story so we get yeah, a little he's bit a more goblet a little bit we do get a little bit of charlie but, yeah but really I, I i feel like we spend more time with bill but maybe it's just because when you get to the end of the series you've just spent more time with bill well charlie's not in the movies at all either like no, bill yeah. is in the movies but charlie isn't right which right. is like a why not 
kind of thing. Yeah, I have no but idea. Kind of an unusual one. Yeah. Um, so that that's sort of that's sort of interesting. There's also this sort of weird thing where that keeps like sort of alluding to the fact that Hagrid knows something about why, why Snape doesn't like Harry, and it's like I. I don't think Hagrid does know why Snape doesn't like Harry. <laughs> does I, he? At the very least, Hagrid would have probably known. Hagrid would have been there at, as a school staffer while both Snape and James attended. True. So I, I think it's very possible that what Hagrid is not telling Harry is the history between James and mm. Um, mm. and Snape. That that yeah. would be like my. I best guess step. so. Yeah, I guess that's so, about as much as he can know. Because if you were if you were Hagrid and like witnessed all that and you had a closer relationship with James, but you also kind of I mean James is a jerk in high school. So yeah, like, I guess at this point, yeah, Hagrid's been like nicer people you couldn't have found except right. except for except for Snape. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that would probably be my best bet is that Hagrid doesn't know the full story, but he knows just enough to know like. Eh, you're probably fighting an uphill battle on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't really want to like sully, you know, your uh, dead father's name, you know, yeah. by, by telling you like, by the way, your dad was kind of a jerk to him. So like, you know, Snape, Snape not, he doesn't have a lot of ground to stand on, but like probably more than none. You yeah, know? more than none, specifically um, against your dad. Right, right. Um, as we, as we took forward though, we learned more about the, the Gringotts break-in, which of course happened the same day that Harry and Hagrid uh, were at uh, Gringotts Bank. Um, one of my f- just favorite things is at the end of this like little n- little news clipping that Hagrid has is just that they specifically refer to the the person who gave uh, you know the the account of what happened as a spokes goblin. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, like not a spokesman, a spokes goblin. A spokes goblin. Yeah, get it right. Um, I think that's pretty that's pretty fun and clever. Um, this is this is sort of interesting because it's like it's like the first piece of you know like the puzzle a little bit to where like they're starting to realize like wait a second I was there that day Hagrid handled that package like, right. They're, they're starting to get like I mean, we emptied a vault. Right, right, right. Like, you know, this is this is where like, you know, Harry kind of becomes a little bit of like Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, he starts being Detective Harry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Starting to starting to try to like pull the pull the pieces of the overall the overall like story together. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see. And that's that's pretty much that's mostly what happens for uh, chapter eight. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the I mean, potions yeah, master the potions master it's a it's a fun chapter overall i mean you know i think harry just sort of like attending school as usual like experiencing the wizarding world i i often say that i feel like um you know goblet of fire i think is is has always historically been one of my favorite books in the saga and i think a huge reason for that is because it's still like harry is still like being immersed more and more in the wizarding world like he's still being exposed to like brand new things for the first time and i feel like that that largely continues all the way from books one through four and then like once he's up to like year five it's almost like harry's pretty well acclimated to the wizarding world like you know it's you're, you're having less of like this like awestruck looking around like wow this place is amazing and magic is so cool like, right you know it's like at that point in time it's more like okay he's in it now like yeah he's we he's, get it. he's a pretty seasoned wizard um um, so, you know, I feel like this is just like one of those good chapters where you're just sort of like seeing Harry do school, enjoy school. Hogwarts. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's it kind of sounds like all of his teachers kind of suck. I know. <laughs> Who was a good teacher here? Flitwick, Sprout, McGonagall. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. As, as we go. everything would, would press forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that'll round us off for chapter eight. What do you think about the chapter art here? Okay, I actually had thoughts about the chapter art on this one because the it's called the Potions Master. We don't spend like a specific... It's almost like 
it the fact that this is a chapter where it's called the potions master, but not like and you do spend the most amount of time in Snape's class, but you could have just called it like week one. And the fact that it's called the potion master like helps draw your attention specifically to the interaction with Snape and that he's important. But the artwork itself is just a spell book and it's called the potions master. So it was like part of me is like wondering like is is the spell book in question up there like like the the copy of advanced potion making or something like oh. is it like it's called the potions master picture of book like is this like it doesn't have any it's not a picture of Snape you know that's a why good isn't point. it a picture of Snape or a cauldron <laughs> or a cauldron or anything to do with potions it's like it must be a potions book but there is a very specific potions book that is uh, really important to the whole story so I don't it doesn't feel like the sort of information that would have been given out um, after book one, like, oh, yeah, make this a book because the sixth book's going to be about a book. You know? right, 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 right. But yeah, like which represent, you know, which is the, the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to know whether or not there would be like that much forethought, but it does seem like a it seems like a strange choice. Yeah. Um, but the other thing to it and, and probably to your point is that like you're you're attempting to really start shining the spotlight on Snape at this point in the story. Like, because what we know is that he's going to be the red herring for the whole freaking story. Yeah. Like, like we're, we are pretty much suspecting Snape as like, you know, person number one, person number one, suspect number one, the whole time. Yeah. I mean, even like, I mean, Harry outright says like, why did Snape hate him so much? And I literally wrote the note like only seven books to go. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing, too, is yeah. I, and I wrote this on the last page. I just said like this. We get the introduction to the mystery. Like, why does Snape hate Harry? So like a lot of these mysteries, I do remember experiencing them for the first time and just desperately wanting the answer, because at this point in the story, you you do not have enough information to go off of to be able to like, be like oh, oh, yeah, Snape was in love with Harry's mother like, it's yeah. like there's no way you could have ever deduced that out at this stage um, so yeah that's I, I do think that the, you know it's 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 really the ignition point for what will go on to be a seven book long mystery yeah so there's that um, I've also got a review oh hey okay let's read it all right this is from Potter girl 13 Aww. says I didn't know I needed this podcast I love this so much I found out I'm pregnant with my first little before this released it's so crazy to think about where I'll be when all of this is over I have an almost four year old maybe even more anyways you guys have really helped me keep things off my mind with this and your YouTube channel thank you for all you do can't wait to see where this goes and what will come oh that's so no. cool it's actually really fun because literally as of for recording um today's episode is actually my daughter addison's second birthday well happy birthday addison i know happy birthday addy um because i i have had a similar thought before like when we when we started like slating this all out and we realized like you know if we're doing a chapter a week and how many chapters do we have it's like this is gonna take a while yeah um you know to to get all the way through the, mm-hmm. the whole saga and everything so we we have lots of runway left ahead of us but it will be so fascinating to see like where everybody's lives are at you know by the time we we get to the end of it i know i know it's, it's gonna like, be yeah and it's so yeah, it's like yeah, like roughly four years from now. So like, how old will my kids be? Like nine, ten for Luke? Like, ugh, oh man, that's crazy to think about. That is wild. Yeah, that is absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. But but also very exciting. Yeah, I very know. Exciting. I'm like, I can't have a, yeah. I can't have a nine year old. Are you crazy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like he was just born. It does feel that way. It yeah. does feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, guys, that is chapter eight for you from Philosopher's Stone. Uh, if you would like to leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate. It certainly helps, you know, with the discoverability 
of the podcast as it exists out there in the pod sphere. Uh, plus, there's a good opportunity for us to potentially read it here in one of the future episodes. So Absolutely. Be sure to go and leave a five star and a review. Um, but I think that's all for today. Yeah. Otherwise, join us next time through the Gryffindor.